I would say you should be a little fearful because just before the service, my watch broke. So I, I could go on and on and not know, but uh, you'll let me know. No, I'm just kidding. What's the best terrible thing that ever happened to you? The best terrible thing that ever happened to you? Is it some food that you thought you hated, but someone made you try it and you liked it anyway? Or did you have to go somewhere to which you desperately did not want to go, but somehow someone made you go and you liked it there? For me, it was Jewish summer camp. I hated the idea of going away to a summer camp for four weeks in the Pocono Mountains of upstate New York and studying Judaism for a month. Now, no one made me go. It wasn't that my parents sent me off to the mountains to go find God. No, what made it even so horrible is that I chose to go. Not for the Judaism. I chose to go for the camp. I wanted to be a leader in my youth group in the B'nai B'rith Youth Organization in BBYO, and to even have the slimmest chance to be elected to an office of leadership, I would have to go through the crucible of the four-week Kala Jewish Intensive Convention and Program at camp, with all of its rabbis and daily minion and Hebrew classes and Israeli dancing. <laughs> oh, did I hate Israeli dancing. I, I'm sorry, Cantor, I know you do it passionately. I avoided it passionately and creatively. I hated Kala, that one-month program, so much so that I wrote a letter telling all of my friends back home just how awful it was. The camp read my mail. <laughs> we do that at camp. Hum a few bars of Hello Mother, Hello Father, and you will know that any camp director worth their salt will read their camper's mail just to anticipate what the phone call will be from that Jewish mother when they get their letter from their son or daughter. They read my mail, and here's the worst part. They sent me to the rabbi. Well, actually, more accurately, they sent the rabbi to me. <laughs> rabbi Bruce Aft. He was a rabbi, and he was a semi-pro baseball player. He was a pitcher. At the time, I was aspiring to be the next Johnny Bench. I was my catcher for my high school baseball team. And Rabbi Aft, he didn't even try to hide it. He said, Danny, back then I was Danny, he certainly wasn't Rabbi Dan. He said, Danny, he said, I read your letter. <laughs> Let's go have a catch and a talk. And so we did. Every day after Israeli dance. I prayed that it would be during Israeli dance, but it was after Israeli dance. <clears throat> you learn a lot about a person during a game of catch. The conversation goes back and forth just like the baseball. I learned what a rabbi really does. Pretty much everything. I didn't know all the time, but yes. I learned that what Rabbi Aft loved most about being a rabbi, about his job, was hearing people's stories. I learned that he wasn't sure he believed in God, at least not the God that I had learned about in Hebrew school. I learned that Judaism was a way of life, a way of finding meaning in life. And when you're 15 years old and you're a boy trapped between childhood and adulthood, meaning is just about all you're looking for. You know how the story ends. 
I became a rabbi. And do you know who signed my ketubah at my wedding? Rabbi Bruce Aft, the rabbi who was a pitcher. Jewish summer camp, Israeli dancing, conversations with rabbis, they don't really come close to being the best or the, the worst things a person can experience. But on some level, suffering is suffering. And learning to handle life's difficulties with grace, to even find ways to be grateful for the goodnesses that still remain, these are among life's greatest challenges, and they are also life's most powerful lessons. We know that. We know that. It is what makes us human. The Curse of Blessings. It's a story by a colleague of mine, Rabbi Cheryl Lewert, from a book called Blessings for Life's Journeys. I want to share the brief story with you. Once upon a time, there was an officer of the law, a newly minted graduate of the police academy. He was filled with pride, dressed in his crisp blue uniform, adorned with brass buttons and gold epaulets and a silver pistol at his side. But the young officer was also filled with self-importance. He was arrogant and cold-hearted. One day, while walking his beat, he heard a commotion in an alleyway. Stepping into the darkness, he saw a man dressed in rags. Come forward, he commanded, the officer did. But the man did not come forward. I am an officer of the law, and I command you to come forward. The man still did not move. Instead, the man spoke. I just don't know what I'm going to do with you, the man said. Do with me, the officer said. Do with me? Do with me? I am an officer of the law. I do with you. I order you to come forward. Ah, said the man in rags, now I know what to do with you. And as he spoke, he drew a knife from his waistband. Now I know exactly what to do with you. And without another word, the man in rags moved to attack the officer of the law. The officer drew his gun in self-defense. Stop that, he ordered. Stop that. Put that knife down. Somebody's going to get hurt. Stop that right now. But the man in rags continued to move forward. Stop, he said, but again to no avail. And as the man in rags thrust his knife forward towards the officer of the law, the officer of the law cocked his gun and prepared to pull the trigger. And in that moment, just as the young officer pulled the trigger, all became silent and still. Suddenly frozen in place, he could not move, but he could hear. And what he heard was the man in rags saying this, I am leaving you, but as I do, I place upon you the curse of blessings. The curse of blessing means that every day you must offer a new blessing, one you have never spoken before. And on the day that you do not offer a new blessing, on that day, you will die. And then all returned to normal, except the man in rags was gone. The officer of the law's gun, it fired aimlessly and harmlessly into the alleyway, hitting a wall. The officer lowered his gun. Looking around, he wondered what he had just seen, what, what he had just heard. He said to himself, I, I, I must have imagined the whole thing. It was late, the sun was setting, 
The officer felt his body growing cold. Did the man in rags really exist? Did he really speak those words? Was the officer's life leaving him now as his body grew cold? In a panic, he blurted out a blessing. Thank you, God, for creating such a beautiful sunset. His life then felt secure. He realized that his life was flowing back into him and warmth was filling his body with both shock and relief. He realized the curse of blessings was real. The next day, he did not delay. Upon waking, he offered a blessing. Praise be the source who has allowed me to awaken this morning. And he felt secure again in his body throughout the entire day. And the next morning, he blessed his ability to rise from his bed. And the following day, he blessed his ability that he could tie his shoes. Day after day, he named features that he could bless, that he could take care of his body, that he had teeth to brush, that each finger on his hand worked as he desired it, that he had toes on his feet and he had hair on his head. He blessed his clothes, every garment he had, his shirts, his ties, his belts. He blessed his house, he blessed the roof, he blessed the floor, his furniture, every table, every chair, that window. One day he was running out of blessings for himself and so he began to bless others. He blessed his family, he blessed his friends. He blessed his co-workers, they are a blessing. And all of those that worked with him. He blessed the mailman, he blessed the clerks, the firefighters, the school teachers. He was surprised to find that they appreciated his blessings, that his words had power. They drew people closer to him. He became known as an unusual officer of the law, one who brought goodness wherever he went. Years passed, decades passed. The policeman had to go further and further afield to find new sources of blessing. He blessed city council members and university buildings. He blessed scientists and their discoveries. As he traveled throughout the world, he grew in awe of its balance and its beauty, and he blessed that too. He realized that the more he learned, the more he had to bless. His life was long, and he had the opportunity to learn in every field. He passed the age of 100. Most of his friends were long gone. and His time was now devoted to searching for his life's purpose the one source for which all blessings were flowing. He had long since realized that he, was not the, that he was not the origin, but merely the conduit, the channel. And even that realization was welcomed with a blessing that sustained him for yet another day. Thank you, God, for making me a channel for blessings. As he approached the age of 120, the officer decided that his life was long enough. Even Moses had lived no longer than that. And so on his 120th birthday, he decided he would offer no new blessings, and he would allow his life to finally come to an end. And so all that day, he sat in his chair, and he recited old blessings, reviewing all the gifts that he had received throughout his life. And as the sun was setting, a chill came over his body, this time he didn't resist it. In the twilight, as his breath grew shallow, a familiar figure appeared, a man in rags. 
You, whispered the officer of the law, I have thought about you every single day for a hundred years. I never meant to harm you. Please forgive me. You still don't understand, the man in rags said. You don't know who I am, do you? I am the angel who was sent 100 years ago to harvest your soul. But when I looked at you, so arrogant, so cold, so pompous, so full of yourself, there was no soul there to harvest. You were just an empty uniform, brass buttons, epaulets, a silver gun. That's all you were. And so I placed upon you the curse of blessings. And now, look what you've become. In an instant, the officer of the law understood. He understood all that had happened. Overwhelmed, he said, you, my friend, you have been my greatest blessing of all. And the man in rags replied, there, now, look what you've done. A new blessing. The officer of the law and the man in rags, they looked at each other, neither knowing what to do. They just smiled and watched the sun set. Sometimes we have a million blessings, and we can't say any of them. And sometimes when blessings are in short supply, that is when we rise up. That is when we rise to our very best, seeing then in only those moments of greatest challenge the most important blessings of all. And we give thanks for our good fortune even in the midst of our suffering. Among the many horrible and tragic things that have happened in this past year, the mass shootings in America's schools have been the most difficult for me personally to bear. As a parent of three school-aged children, who but for the good fortune of coming to Canada five years ago would be in those classrooms, doing those active shooter drills, and God forbid, hiding in utility closets and barricading classroom doors. As a parent, those shootings are soul-shattering. But you know what is soul-restoring? You know the curse of blessings in all of that? The hundreds of thousands of children and parents, the millions, really, that march through the streets that called upon the national conscience of that country and every country, that demanded that shootings had to stop. They are trying to wake the world to gun violence, to climate change, to LGBTQ rights, to immigrant rights, civil rights, human rights. And one day, I believe they will. The trick, of course, the trick is to acquire this sensitivity without having to endure tremendous hardships in the process. At Mount Sinai, the Torah tells us God instructed that we should never make gods out of silver and gold. In a collection of Midrashim on the book of Exodus called Mechilta, our rabbis interpret gold and silver to mean life's best moments, life's most precious and valuable times. When happiness comes, the rabbis say, give thanks. But when things get tough, give thanks then as well. Now, the rabbis probably didn't mean that we should be happy when we're sad. 
but that we should remember, even when we're sad, that life has had its wonderful moments also. And if we'll open our hearts, we can have wonderful moments again. We can find meaning in struggle and suffering. What blessings don't you see? Take a moment. Think about your burdens, your curses, your sufferings. Think how they are actually blessings. And if you're brave, and I know you are, turn to the person next to you and share with them how your curses become a blessing for you. Take a moment and do that. I really mean that. Take a moment and do that. The new year is here. The new year is here. You heard the sound of the shofar from Gordon calling us to answer, calling us at this time to reflect on the past and resolve for the future. In this new year, count your hardships as well as counting your blessings. Count your challenges and your curses. Count all of them as blessings. For they will end up teaching you, they will end up teaching us. They are just another way to remind us that life is filled with opportunities in which such curses can become blessings, where there can be a silver lining and a tarnished experience. Keep your, heart, your eyes and your heart open every moment of every day in this new year so that you can see the blessings that surround you. Some are right before your very eyes. Some are sitting right next to you. Some are looking down on you from heaven. Some, I hope, as I look at our webcam, will read this sermon, Rabbi Aft, or listen to it, and recognize that you were a blessing in my life. Though you never really saved me from Israeli dancing. <laughs> but you did from my own cynicism and despair. The people in our life the people in our life, past and present, they are the blessings. Can you hear may it be God's will. Amen.